I want to ask you a question. Um, I mean, how good is your hearing? I mean, how good is your hearing? Are you a good listener? Yeah? Are you good at listening? I, I have a gift. It's called selective hearing. I, I really, I'm, re- I'm really strong at it as well. Particularly if the TV's on and there's sport. Yeah, I, I, honestly, anything could be going on in the, in the house. And I, I'm, I'm in. I have zoned out all distractions. In fact, when I have, I've got three grown-up sons. When they were younger, there could be World War III going on in the living room. But if the sport's on, I've zoned it out. Deb, my wife, would come in and say, what's going on? But I wouldn't hear her because I was, <laughs> I've got selective hearing. Can anyone relate to this? Yeah? It's a gift, isn't it? It's a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, see the phone? The, the phone, yeah? I don't know if you've got one of those with you today. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but I've heard stories told. I've heard this story told that there are people that have been married many a year that go out for a romantic lunch and then they get distracted by the precious, the phone. I've heard this happens in some marriages. Okay, I've heard this happen. Or you're with, you know, you're with someone really important to you and then what happens is the precious goes... And all listening or focus on the person you're with goes out the window because the phone has uh, interrupted. I've heard that happens in certain marriages. Um, yeah. And then um, recently my wife, Deb, went on a, a listening course, a listening skills course. I, I think she went on it hoping I would go with her or uh, would be so interested I, I would... Uh, uh, do the course. I didn't actually do the course. I invited the leader of the course to address our pastoral and operational staff. So I thought, this is a good skill. One of the things she came out one evening absolutely fascinated me. She said what she learned that evening was that uh, more often than not, when someone is speaking, what happens is you're not actually listening to what they're saying. You're thinking about what you're going to say next. Yeah? You think about that for a moment, yeah? So they're talking, you're kind of listening, but really you're thinking, oh, no, no, I don't agree with that. No, 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 I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this, okay? Yeah? Now, real, and the course said that really good listening is focused listening. You're really focused in. Uh, now, of course, you, you have to think a bit about what you're going to say, otherwise they would finish speaking and then, oh, no, I've got nothing to say. So you can multitask a little. But the point is, is very quickly we can have... Uh, selective hearing. We kind of hear what we want to hear. And uh, what I want to look at today is a number of passages. Uh, in fact, before I read the passage, can I just say, look, I am going to ask for 20 minutes of your life this morning. 20 minutes of focus listening. Can you give that to me? Well, just that's not a, you know, I will try and keep it uh, relevant and lively, and they might even try uh, the odd joke as we go. But I'm asking, can you just give me 20 minutes? I'm going to speak maybe 22 if I get carried away, okay? Uh, and if you can, I-, I want you to engage your mind. I want you to think of what, what I'm sharing with you. So I want to share a message called Living a Fruitful Life. Because what I have to share today, if it's true, then it's of 
life-significant. It's game-changing. It's kind of, I want to tell you a true story that is history-making. So it's worth listening to. At the end, if you choose, which you're free to, to kind of go, I'm, I'm not sure um, this is for me, or I'm not sure that's true, then that's fine. Just give me 20 minutes to consider. Would you be a good listener today? Okay, let's go for it. We're going to read the passage. Uh, two passages, actually. First is from 1 Corinthians 15, and then also from Mark's Gospel. Uh, it'll come up on the screen. So... Uh, firstly, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I've preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. And then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which is a kind of nice way of saying they've died, uh, just they've fallen asleep. Uh, And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. That's the apostle Paul himself writing the letter. And then uh, from Mark's gospel, the parable of the sower, a very famous parable. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it uh, out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, uh, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places uh, where it didn't. Uh, did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because of the, the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because there was no roots. And the other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said... Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, If you've come to this church, you will know by now, for any length of time, I love Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Day. It's the time in the church calendar where we put a particular focus on the resurrection. If Good Friday is a time of reflection, we look at the death and the pain and the cost and the penalty paid for us on the cross that Jesus uh, was crucified on, then Easter Sunday is about the resurrection. And the resurrection uh, is fundamental to the Christian faith. Many people die... Only one claims to be risen from the dead. Uh, And this one, Jesus actually predicted his death. So it's quite a bold thing to do. I'm going to predict my death, I'm going to get killed, and then I'm going to be raised from the dead. 
No other faith makes that claim. No other person makes that claim. And Jesus claims to be that person, and many of us here uh, testify to be true. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is futile. In fact, it goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, and uh, expresses it this way. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So that means the morning I've spent is a complete waste of time. Yeah? In fact, my life is sold to a lie. And so is yours. So I'm a preacher. And I've preached this message. This is the fourth time this morning and this afternoon. And so if Jesus isn't raised from the death, he's still in the tomb. I've wasted my time and I've sold my life to a lie. And if you're a Christian here, so have you. It's why as a young person, at around 18, 19, I looked into the claims of Christianity and particularly focused on the resurrection. I thought if I'm going to give my life to Jesus, I want to make sure that I am as confident as I can be on the kind of evidence that uh, the resurrection is based off. I thought, well, have I got one life? I want to live it well. I want you to live it well. I want you to have a very fruitful life, actually, in God. Uh, But that's what I did. I looked at it. You wouldn't be familiar with that story if you come to the church regularly. And very quickly, just to summarize five key pieces of evidence that may help you wherever you are on your journey um, about the resurrection. The first is the fulfillment of prophetic promise. Now, if you're here and you're not a believer, and therefore you don't have trust in the scriptures, I realize that this is you might need to step back and get confident that the Bible is a reliable historical document and all that stuff you can do, and I would encourage you to do if you've never done that. Uh, but there, if you are a believer, or you at least got some awareness of the Scripture, you know that there was a promised Messiah coming for the people of Israel. And Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophetic promises that looked forward to his coming. Uh, and here's just one. Uh, It was prophesied in the Old Testament, the place that he would be born. Now, there's one thing you can't do, is uh, you can't organize where you're born. That is outside your control. There are some people that look at the 300 prophecies and go, I wonder if Jesus, when he got old enough to read them all, uh, he kind of then worked back his life to line up with all the prophetic promise. Uh, I mean, that is, (laughs) I mean, you have to be pretty, pretty clever to do that, wouldn't you? But there are certain things that are outside your control. So the fulfillment of prophetic promise. Another one is the empty tomb. Uh, I was thinking, I got early this morning, went for a prayer walk. I thought, gosh, this is what it was like. The women, as recorded in the gospel, they went to put spices on the body. They do that because of the smell. And so they went down to the tomb. And the the tomb is empty. Uh, The Bible calls it, it's like an earthquake. Uh, now, this would have been protected. It would have been sealed, the tomb. It would have been protected by Roman guard. Roman soldiers are professional soldiers. And they knew that if this was broken in or the body was stolen, that their life was at stake. But the women get there and they find that Jesus is not there. The, the, one of the quickest ways to stop the Christian faith would be for the Roman authorities or the Jewish leaders to uh, bring out the body. Yeah? He's risen, he's risen. Uh, no, sorry, here's his body. No, sorry, he's still dead. Look, he's dead. He's not risen, he's dead. But it was, the body was, 
never brought out. Why? Well, he's risen. He's alive. That's another bit of evidence. Uh, the appearance to his uh, uh, disciples. Um, um, and I, I read the, the record as uh, the Apostle Paul records it. One of the most important things about that when you're considering evidence, uh, on one occasion he appeared to more than just one or two people. He appeared to groups of people, a 12 or up to a 500 of the brothers and sisters. This um, meant that there was more than one witness to his resurrection at the same moment in time. And if you're in a court of law, that type of testimony carries far more weight than just an individual person giving testimony. A fourth one is the changed lives of his followers. Now I have to confess, this is the one that, that, that in the end, it got me as a young guy. I thought, okay, here they are, they're all scattered. Uh, they're fearful. We know they're fearful because Peter denies Jesus. He does that because he thinks, man, I'm going to get in trouble if I say I know this man. They scatter at the crucifixion. The New Testament records that there's maybe about 120 of them and they're hiding uh, away. That's, that's, that's the kind of number of people we're talking about. In uh, Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago, a little group, less than there's in this room, okay? This is the way to start a global movement, yeah? Okay, there's a small, and they're fearful of their life. What happened? What happened between Good Friday and scattered disciple and proclaiming Apostle Peter on Acts 2. What happened? I concluded when I looked at it, it was easier to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead than he wasn't. That is the most logical uh, connection from the activating event of Good Friday and the resurrection. And then these, these men and women, they went everywhere. They told everyone about the gospel. And many of them gave their life, literally were killed for the faith. So would you give your life for a lie? If you knew, I sometimes think, well, what did they do? Well, basically, they got together and thought, look, we hoped he was the Messiah, but clearly he wasn't. Let's pretend he was raised from the dead, and we'll go and tell everyone that. I mean, you just wouldn't do that, would you? You'd be living a lie, and particularly as it got tough, you go, oh, man, I'm out of here. Uh, so the changed lives of the followers, and then, of course, finally, the testimony of the church. We are a testimony, just our little local church is a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But along with millions, actually tens and hundreds and millions and billions of people today, uh, as the, every hour goes um, through the day, people gather up and they celebrate the risen Lord Jesus. Um, Michael Green, who is an Anglican um, a uh, great Anglican leader summarized it better than I can. He put it like this. The church, beginning from a handful of uneducated fishermen and tax gatherers, swept across the whole known world in the next 300 years. It is a perfectly amazing story of peaceful revolution that has no parallel in the history of the world. It came about because Christians were able to say to inquirers, Jesus did not only die for you, he is alive. You can meet him and you can discover him for yourself. The reality uh, we are talking about. And they did. 
and join the church. And the church born from that Easter grave spread everywhere. The gospel it went everywhere. That's what I believed as a 19-year-old, and it went from a kind of evidence base down to an experience. That was my journey. Sometimes people experience the love of God, and then they work back and find the, the evidence behind the message, okay? Mine was the other way around. I counted the cost up front. Um, but this gospel spread everywhere. I have uh, the privilege of traveling to many different parts of the world. Uh, not a load, but enough. And I want to tell you, it's gone everywhere. It's gone further than McDonald's. You know, you can go, I mean, you can go loads of places in the world and you'll find McDonald's. Yeah? But uh, trust me, there's a brand that's stronger than McDonald's. It's the name Jesus Christ. Recently, I had the privilege of going to the Caribbean. Yeah, I know, it's tough being a pastor. But, you know, it's a very diverse church. It's important, you know, for cross-cultural awareness and things like that. And it's sunny and it's nice. And we went there and there was a couple of McDonald's. There were churches everywhere. Not just buildings, people. Yeah? Uh, and I've been to China and Africa and the Middle East, wherever you go. It's everywhere. One of the great things about the Christian faith is that Most other religions are based in geographical strongholds. Christianity spreads across all cultures and all over the world. It's a unique message rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I got thinking about today and I thought, do you know, I think most of the people I'm going to speak to, a vast majority of them, they actually believe the resurrection. I'm going to be preaching to the crowd. They believe the resurrection. Um, The issue is, have you got selective hearing? Have you got selective hearing? Have you heard the message and believed, but have you really then applied it to your life? Or as you've just kind of taken parts of it? It's like uh, you're here and you've come. It's Easter Sunday. You thought, well, it's Easter. I'll come. And, and faith is, is more like an insurance policy rather than the center of your life. It's like I've got a foot in both camps. I mean, I do believe Jesus is raised from the dead, but... I'm not sure how how far it's going to impact my life. This is what the parable of the sower is all about. The parable of the sower is a great parable. In fact, it's one of the only parables that Jesus actually goes on to interpret really plainly and clearly. It's a parable that talks about salvation, about fruitfulness, about the spread of the gospel. It talks about living a fruitful life. 30, 60, 100 fold. Um... In the parable, the sower is the preacher. The seed is the word of God. And the soil is like the hearer. And my question is, how, how, how good is your hearing? How good is your soil when receiving the word of God? Let's quickly go through the verses. I'm going to go very quickly. Because I think most of you here actually believe the resurrection. But then something has happened that takes away this precious seed of the word of God in your life. Uh, In verse 15 of Mark 4, verse 4 of Mark 4 is interpreted by Jesus. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So it's like you're, you're someone that you kind of believed and then before you could kind of root it, It's like the father of lies comes along and says, that's not true, don't believe it. Uh, 
Some people are like that. Verse 16 and 17 he explains this verse 5. Others are like seeds sown on rocky places. Hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. For some of you here, you, you go, actually, that is me. I remember receiving Jesus with joy. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day when Jesus was in a way. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't my best rendition, I have to confess, okay? All right, just trying to keep you awake in the middle afternoon, okay? But you remember a moment when you believed and you received it with joy and you are forgiven of my sin. Praise God. But then trouble or persecution. Now, we're fortunate in our country, we don't, we're not really under persecution. Many Christians are, but we do have trouble. And, and I kind of think, did someone not explain the gospel to you correctly that following Jesus is going to be tough? If you've got a gospel which is like a prosperity gospel, which is like, oh, it's all going to be fine, follow Jesus, you get loads of money, everything will be fine, you'll have no trouble. It's not the gospel. You've got a false message. The gospel is you're going to have all that and Jesus is with you in it and through it. The next one is, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Oh, well, if there was ever a three-point sermon there, eh? Uh, But we haven't got time for it, so it'll be a very quick The worries of life. Some people are full of anxiety. They live with it. They breathe it. They they therefore find it difficult to rely and trust on God. And therefore the worries press in. It's like, how could God allow this to happen to me? And it just takes away this beautiful seed that's planted in someone's life. Or the deceitfulness of wealth. That's a big one in London, isn't it? And particularly in Western materialistic culture, which is the culture, it's like the soup we kind of all slosh in and around all the time. It's all around us. Uh, And living in London, you can see it in the beautiful skyline. You just see all these massive buildings, beautiful buildings, but all there to generate wealth. And money in itself is not, uh, it's not bad. It's neutral, okay? It's when it becomes a god, and that's what materialism is, the god of mammon. And it becomes something that you put your security or your value or your identity. Yeah? It's when it starts to be those things and it starts to replace God in your life who should provide you value and security and comfort. Now look, you need money. I'm not preaching you don't need money. But it should be neutral and it shouldn't become your God. And some people get, they start well and then they get sucked into that. Oh, other desires. And then lastly, um, others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. They live a fruitful life. Yeah. Now, I don't know if I should say this, but if I could choose, I'd want to be in the 100 camp. I want to I have a life that's really fruitful in God and that multiplies in many people's lives because eternity is at stake. Yeah? It's like life and death, folks. Yeah? And, uh, and I, want, I want you to aspire to that. Now, look, I think I can say this without getting in trouble. Just hear my heart here. Is God can do it without you, but he does need you as well. Yeah, he can do it. 
And therefore, how you respond, each one of you, how you respond is totally connected to the next step of the gospel's extension. That God can do it without you, but he does call you to be fruitful. And are you being fruitful? Are you, are you like all in? Are you committed? Are you giving your time? I'm, I'm as interested that you're here next Sunday than just this one. Because that's fruitful. That is a contributor. At that point, faith is right at the centre of life. It's not a bolt-on or a, an insurance policy. Um, we're going to pray in a moment. Uh, in preparation for uh, this uh, message, I wrote to uh, Neil, who's our, our worship pastor, is leading this morning. And I, I said, look, I, I liked, could I use this song at Easter? Now, th- I do this occasionally, and I don't always get a yes. I mean, I'm fortunate as the senior pastor, there are some advantages. You can at least write to the team, can we use this? You know they're considerate. Normally it comes back, Steve, that's a song in the 80s, get up to date, you know, and things like that. But this, this, on this occasion, because my kids had introduced me to the song, I knew that the soil was fertile in the worship team. So, Okay, so I said, I said look, could we, could we sing this song at Easter? Because it just expresses the heart of God. In a fresh and new way. We're going to sing it in a moment. These are the words of a song. It's called, oh, oh, Come to the Altar, which I just sing is like, Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the world? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, what a saviour. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before him. For he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. What a great song. This is a song of invitation. Full of truth, full of the gospel. And I want to encourage you to respond to Jesus. Jesus is calling you today. And uh, I'm trusting, as we've seen through the morning, many respond to Jesus this morning. Tens of people respond, that you would respond yourself. Um, I am... I felt as I was praying that God said that I should emphasize this morning... For people to make a recommitment to Christ. You know the resurrection is true. But for whatever reason, and I've given a handful of why. is that you're, It's not like focus center. It's like selective hearing your walk of faith. And God is calling you to recommit your life to Christ today. Based on the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I also think there's probably a handful of you here that 
You've never put your faith in Jesus. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. This could be your day when you uh, come to him because Jesus is calling your name and, uh, and experience the wonderful joy of salvation. So we're going to sing this song. Can I encourage you to sing it with me? Uh, Neil, if the band could come back up. We're going to sing. It's a great response song. It's, it's like we sing it as the body of Christ, like Jesus. We're the body of Christ now, and we sing it. It's like a, a, a calling out for people to come to the Father, to come to Jesus. So we'll sing it, and then I'll come up and just lead us in a prayer. And uh, can I ask you, if you're here, to, to focus in and, and respond and, yeah, recommit your life to Christ, if you know what it is to follow him.